Well, thank you, Bar- Barclay, and thank you for this opportunity to speak at our last Sunday together uh, this year. It's something I've been doing, uh, speaking at either the last Sunday of the year or the first Sunday of the year for over 10 years. And one or two of you might be sitting there thinking that we had two Corinthians four uh, just four years ago. And yes, I did speak from that passage, from the verses, uh, the last three verses, 16, 17 and 18. But uh, I'll come back to that passage again because I think it is so relevant uh, to uh, us all. So we're going to speak uh, from it again this evening, but from the whole of the chapter, in fact. And uh, this year of 2020 hasn't been an easy year. Uh, you might say that's a bit of an understatement. I-, I wonder how you would describe it. What words would you use to describe the year? The Daily Telegraph, or, or the Telegraph, um, their review of the year says, remembering a year to forget. Uh, the Institute of You, whoever they are, say it's been an interesting year. The Washington Post uh, asked its readers to describe in one word or a couple of words how they would summarize the year. And these are some of the words that were, were listed there in the Washington Post. Exhausting, lost, chaotic, surreal, heartbreaking, relentless, nightmare. It's been a difficult year. Many of us have faced frustrations. Um, I have a friend who I work with. He had his holiday cancelled six times. Uh, eventually was able to go. Others have had weddings uh, cancelled. Christmas arrangements have been disrupted. It's been very frustrating at times. Some of us may be just feeling the isolation and the loneliness uh, of it all. Uh, just, just so difficult just with all that we've been through. Maybe some of you just anxious and continue to be anxious about all that's happening. Will I get COVID? What about my family? What about the future? How will things unfold? And many other things as well that we've faced in 2020. In the book of 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul is facing difficult times. He was struggling with the church and uh, they were causing him much heartache. They're very critical of him. They described him as fickle and didn't like the way that he wrote or spoke. The verse in 2 Corinthians 10 that says uh, this of him, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. They were very critical of him. Paul had written at least four letters to this church. Um, we just have two of them, but uh, you can work it out. At least four of them. He'd sent Timothy. He'd sent Apollos. He'd been himself to try and sort things out. And and and, and Paul was facing much heartache with these um, Christians in Corinth. And he was facing struggles elsewhere as well. And three times in the book, in chapters four and chapter six and chapter 11, he described some of the uh, troubles and some of the difficulties that he's going through. Here in chapter four, he describes himself as being hard pressed on every side, perplexed persecuted, struck down, or maybe identify that with those. In chapter six, he speaks of troubles and hardship and distresses, of beatings, imprisonments and riots, of sleepless nights, of hunger, of being sorrowful, of being poor, of having nothing. Paul was having a difficult time, not just because of the church at Corinth, but just because he was seeking to serve the Lord. Uh, and uh, live for him. 
And then again, in chapter 11, we find him saying similar things. Let me just read to you a few verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from verse 23. He says this. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I've toiled and laboured and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul had every reason to moan. Paul had every reason to give up. But yet he doesn't. And somehow he manages to take these criticisms that were aimed at him, turn them around and minister back to these people at Corinth, these Christians that are there. And uh, this letter and both these letters are, are saturated with encouragement. The word comfort or encouraged is used, I think it's 29 times through the book. And here in this chapter four that uh, Sam read for us twice, he says, we do not lose heart. In verse one and verse 16. Paul had plenty of reason to lose heart. But yet he doesn't. He says he was hard pressed in verse eight, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. How can he say all of that? Yes, we're facing a difficult situation with all that we've experienced in 2020. But when we read that list of all the things that Paul went through, how can he say that we do not lose heart? Well, what I want to do tonight is to go through this chapter and to take what Paul writes and to turn turn it into nine things that we should do to keep us going as we get to the end of 2020 and arrive in 2021. And any one of these would help us to not lose heart. And every every one of these deserves its own sermon. Um, but as we go through them, um, I want us to ask ourselves, do I do it? Do I do what this Paul describes? Will I do it? Will I keep doing it? And I want us to take encouragement as we come to the end of a difficult year and uh, move into a year of of who knows what. Firstly, uh, the first thing is we need to experience the light that has shone. Look at what uh, he says in verse six of this chapter four. Verse six, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God is the one who's made light shine out of the darkness in creation. And Genesis 1 tells tells us that. And God is the one who's made the light shine into the darkness of this world. And John chapter 1 tells us that. In the letter, one of John's letters, 1 John 1 verse 5, it says that God is light. In John's gospel, Jesus says of himself, 
I am the light of the world. And God is the one who has shone his lightness into this dark world. So that we can experience this light for ourselves. God is the one and Jesus is the one who takes us from darkness to light, from death to life. And the first question we can ask tonight is, have you experienced this light? Have you come into the light? Have you turned from the darkness and trusted in the light of Jesus Christ? And if you're listening tonight and if you've never done that, if you've never experienced this light and turned from sin and trusted in Christ, then then all of these other things that we're going to think about, you won't be able to do them. Because they are all rooted in what Christ has done and are all rooted in that relationship with Christ that we have. When we come to him. So firstly, experience the light that has shone. And then secondly, uh, we need to delight in the treasure that we have. Look at what it says in verse seven, uh, verse seven of two Corinthians four. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, I don't imagine that any of us like being described as a jar of clay tonight, but we are. I think we're more inclined to think of ourselves as a as a as a fired and beautifully glazed Ming vase. But actually, what it tells us here is what we like. We are a dried, unfired, fragile, worthless pot. And maybe we don't like to be described as that or or maybe actually that is how you feel tonight. But it's not the pot or the jar that has the treasure, that is the treasure that has the value. But it's the treasure in the jar that gives it its value. And the treasure that we have tonight is Christ. And just think about the wonderful saviour that we have. And just think about all that we have in Christ. Forgiveness and peace and joy and hope. We need to delight in the treasure that we have. We need to delight, yes, in those things, forgiveness and joy and peace and hope. But in the treasure itself or the treasure himself in Christ. We need to focus on the treasure and not on the jar. Don't despair over what we don't have, but delight in what we do have. Experience the light that has shone. Delight in the treasure that you have and then trust in God's power, not yours. You see, this verse goes on. It goes on. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. The reason we are jars of clay is so that we we might depend on God's power. And uh, that's what that's what Paul says we should do. That's what God wants us to do. He said this to them in his first letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says this. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, the faith that we have, the life that we have, it doesn't rest on our wisdom 
for our strength, but it rests on God's power. We're, class of, uh, uh, we're clay jars so that we might depend on God's power. And if we weren't, we might start to think that we should do and can do everything in our own strength and start trying to live in our own strength. And so often we can do that. But yet Paul elsewhere, Paul, even from a prison cell, says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Weak vessels, weak things reveal God's glory. The true giants of God are those who recognize their own weakness, but recognize that God is with them and that he can be trusted and uh, uh, and, and trust in that power that God gives. And there's many examples of people in the Bible who had to learn that lesson. Think, uh, think, for example, of Moses. Moses lived to the age of a uh, ripe old age of 120. And uh, I've heard his life described or summarized like this. He spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody who was going to lead God's people out of uh, Egypt to the promised land. 40 years thinking he was a somebody. But then he had to spend 40 years realizing that he was a nobody. But then the next 40 years realizing and seeing what God can do with a nobody. We need to trust in God's power and not ours. And at the end of this year and at the beginning of a new year, we need to ask ourselves, are we trusting in ourselves and our abilities and our experience and our knowledge? Or are we trusting in the power of God? So that's three so far. Uh, Experience the light that has shone. Delight in the treasure that you have. Trust in God's power, not yours. And then fourthly, make sure that you die with Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 10 of this chapter. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. And that's a strange phrase to use, but it speaks of 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 dying with Christ, of of identifying with Christ in his death, of, of dying to ourselves. It's a challenging theme, but it's a common theme in the scriptures. Paul has said to them in his previous letter in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die every day. And 2 Corinthians again, later on in chapter 11, being exposed to death and again and again, he's, he's speaking there of uh, the physical challenges that he was facing on his life. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's not me that lives, but Christ who lives in me. A challenging thing, but a common one. And not just for Paul. But for all, it's not just for the for the apostle or the or the uh, the man who's given over to serving the Lord. It's for all of us. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he tells us in those great chapters five and six. In chapter six, he says we should count ourselves dead to sin. Jesus uh, in the Gospels, he says this, if any man would follow me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. We could go on, but I don't think there's any need to because the message is clear and we need to ask ourselves, are we living for ourselves? Or are we living for Christ? Are we seeking to to die with Christ? And if we're going to keep going in these coming days ahead and the coming years ahead, we need to die to ourselves and live for Christ. I remember hearing uh, just about a year ago about a a, a man um, and uh, someone known to someone I know. And he had just reached retirement and he had his uh, work diary, a big diary. And um, he would have all his appointments in it and you know, written in you know, a real physical diary, which you write in, not not a, not in Google calendars or whatever. But he write everything in. And after the day after his retirement, he'd written in the following pages um, after he retired. My time, my time, my time. And then just a few days after he retired, he suddenly died. We need to think about. The time that we have and who are we living for? Are we dying with Christ, dying to ourselves and living for Christ? And then uh, the fifth thing we need to be doing is looking forward to the resurrection that is ahead. Listen to what he says in verses 13 and 14. He says this. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken with the same spirit of faith. We also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Isn't that a wonderful truth and a wonderful thought that one day, if we're trusting in Christ, that we will be raised uh, in him and in his presence. I like this time of year in some ways, not just because it's Christmas. But, you know, once we get to the 21st of December, the days are getting longer and uh, and eventually we start to see the 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 evenings getting lighter and the mornings getting lighter and spring is beginning to uh, be on its way. I was uh, visiting someone the other day and uh, out at the front, the daffodils were out. But but life is starting to appear and it's. um. A wonderful thing to look forward to the spring and the, and the new life that it's appear, that, that, that's appearing and, and coming out of death, as it were. And that's a wonderful reminder to us of what is to come, that one day if we are in Christ, there's a resurrection day coming. Well, there's a resurrection day coming for everyone, but we will be raised with him. And that's a good thing to think about when the days are difficult. Paul has written much about this resurrection of the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, his previous letters were written about the resurrection of Christ. And then he writes about the resurrection of everyone. And he writes these words, the body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but is raised a spiritual body. Are you looking forward to that resurrection? Are you looking forward to that time when Jesus comes again? Advent's a wonderful time. And uh, I've uh, particularly the last few years particularly enjoyed Advent. And uh, Barclay read from us um, uh, an Advent uh, reading 
And, uh, and it's wonderful, isn't it, to hear those things. But Advent really is not just a time of looking back to who has come, but looking forward to the fact that he is coming again. And, you know, as we come to an end of another year and we look into a, a new year ahead, it's good to get things in perspective and, and think about what that that greatest event, which is still to come when Jesus comes again, when we're raised from the dead. Some of you know I've been involved with uh, Real Lives on a Saturday night and we recorded uh, all sorts of people and uh, we're recording more for a, a new season next year. And we recorded someone just earlier this week and um, uh, a, a, a remarkable story, a remarkable work of God in someone's life. And uh, she was asked at the end, what are you looking forward to uh, in this coming year? And she said, maybe that Jesus will return. Are you looking forward to that? Because that's our great hope. So number five, look forward to the resurrection that is ahead. And then we come to number six. And number six is we need to be living for the sake of others. And uh, again, in this passage, he time and time again, and in fact, he's demonstrated that he's living for the sake of others and not as for himself. The next verse, verse 15, he says this. All this is for your benefit. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Everything that Paul went through, everything that he did was for the benefit of others. Paul lived for Christ and that meant living for others. Paul had every reason to walk away from the church at Corinth. I suspect if he'd been a pastor of a church like that in our day that he would have given up on them and, and gone and gone and found another church. But he doesn't. Every reason to walk away from them, but he doesn't. He's living for their benefit and serving them. When he writes to the church at Philippi, he says the same thing. He says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and tells them as well to look out for the interest of others and tells them that they should have the same attitude which Christ had. And when we look at the life of Christ, we know that he gave everything for us. And when we look at the life of Paul, we see that he's giving everything to serve others because he's following Christ. And I really do think if we just in our hearts set apart to live for others, then it will make a real difference to us and will help us keep going and help us to not lose heart. So there we are. We've had six. We'll just go over them again. Firstly, we need to experience the light that has shone. Secondly, we need to delight in the treasure that we have. Thirdly, trust in God's power, not yours. Fourthly, make sure that you're dying with Christ. Fifthly, look forward to the resurrection that is ahead. And sixthly, live for the sake of others. The six done. And there's three more. And these last three points come from the last three verses, one from each verse. And and actually, this is what I did speak on four years ago. But it's good to think about them again as we come to the end of this year. So number seven, be inwardly renewed day by day. And there it is. Have a look in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly 
We are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now, we know that outwardly we're wasting away. Some of us might be in denial of that and think that we're not. But many of us are just aware of that, that outwardly the the, the outward man, the outward person is decaying. But this verse tells us that we can be inwardly renewed. Isn't that a wonderful thought? The part of us that live for, lives forever, that inward car part, the place where Jesus lives can be inwardly renewed. We're a new creation, Paul writes in the next chapter. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have becoming, uh, become new. And as God works in us, that inward man, that inward person can be renewed day by day. In Ephesians, he talks about as being having a, a being a new self. And again, in Ephesians three, he talks about the inner being being strengthened by the Holy Spirit at work in us. Yes, the outward is wasting away, but we can be inwardly renewed. And this verse tells us that it can happen every day. It's not a one off event. It's not some event that happens or something comes on us and we're renewed and that's it. And it's not just a once a week event, just going along to church and uh, meeting with God's people and hearing God's word and then going home and waiting for another week before we're renewed. It can happen every day. It happens day by day as we walk with God, as we feed on his word, as we're in communion with him. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Just each day to to spend time with God, whether that's reading his word or or, or reading other things which help us. I've got on my desk here two books, which I I don't you do them both every day, but I, I use different ones uh, as well as doing other things. Um, Morning and evening by oh, you can't see it, can you? Oh, it's disappearing into the background. Morning and evening uh, Spurgeon's reading, but it's an updated version. Um, by Alistair Begg and uh, find that greatly encouraging. And one I've got more recently is uh, Daily Readings uh, by J.C. Ryle from the Four Gospel. It goes through all the Four Gospels by J.C. Ryle. And, and, and Ryle is uh, remarkable. He was a Victorian who wrote in short sentences and um, uh, they're very helpful and very challenging. But um, but just think about the things that we can do to be renewed in the inner person day by day, reading God's word, talking about him, thinking about him as we um, uh, outwardly waste away, but inwardly are renewed day by day. And then in verse 17, he tells us that we should be anticipating the glory which is to come. Verse 17 says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's got that word troubles in there. And yes, we face troubles. But did you notice what he said? They are light uh, compared with the eternal glory that outweighs them all. They're light compared with the glory which is to come. So anticipate the glory which is to come. They're momentary compared with the eternity which is to come. But look at what it says as well. They're not only light and momentary, but they're working for you and not against you. 
Do you realize that? Is it possible that everything that's happened in this year is working against us? Uh, sorry, working for us. It feels like it's working against us. But it says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It might not feel like it, but as we trust God and as we anticipate the glory to come, he's working for us and not against us. Be inwardly renewed day by day. Anticipate the glory to come. And then finally, verse 18, the last verse tells us that we should fix our eyes on that which we cannot see. Fix our eyes on that which we cannot see. Says exactly that. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We fix our eyes on that which we can't see. I've not seen it, but I'm aware of the fact that on Channel 4 this year, there was a, an alternative or a deep fake Queen's speech. I don't know if any of you saw it, but it looks like the Queen. It sounds like the Queen, but it's not the Queen. It's fake. It's not real. We hear much about fake news. We hear much about virtual reality. We used to ask the question, what is truth? But now we're asking the question, what is reality? And maybe you look out at this world around you and think it seems real enough. But the Bible says it's only temporary. It has a beginning and it has an end. And the Bible tells us not to be fooled by it and everything that it has to offer, because it is not of God. It's of the devil, the enemy of God. And God wants us to see <coughs> this world around us in the way that he see it, sees it and the way that it is broken and temporary. And if we want to know what is real, if we want to know what is invisible, then we need to look to God. Tozer, A.W. Tozer said the Bible world is the real world. And the way that we fix our, on our eyes on that which we cannot see is to read God's word and to, to meet with God and to look to Christ. The Bible is, is full of people who saw the invisible. Hebrews chapter 11, go and read it. People who saw the invisible. Abraham, he was looking forward to a city with foundations. He was looking forward to it. He couldn't see it, but he was looking forward to it. Moses, he persevered, it says in verse 27, because he saw him who is invisible. If you want to keep going in these last days of 2020 and the coming days ahead, we need to fix our eyes, to fix our gaze on that which we cannot see, but that which is real and that which is everlasting. And he who can help us day by day in the coming days ahead. So are you able to say with Paul, we do not lose heart? I think if we can take just some of these things on board and do these things, then we will help us to do that.